introduction, so I'll just start. You got it. Welcome to Oh Brother, Not Another Podcast, an official Apple podcast sponsored by the Westport Library and Quick Center for the Arts. And I am Migs Burroughs. And I am Trace Burroughs. And if you like the show, please leave a nice review. Today we have on the show Chuck Wright, who is the uh, bass player for Quiet Riot uh, for 26 years with nine albums. They had a hit record back, a hit album and record come and um feel the noise um it was huge i remember that hearing that all the time and um he's also uh played with alice cooper slash greg allman carmen apathy ronnie montrose john wade and pat travers and many others uh he has a solo album out and that's we're going to talk about that today um so chuck how how many? Hey, how, hello, everybody. Hi. <laughs> nice to meet you, old oh, brothers. When I was told this got changed, I went, "Oh, brother!" Anyway, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, that's what everyone says after they do it. Do they go, "Oh, brother"? Why did I do that? <laughs> yeah, why did I do this? I've never done an interview with two people, but I'll, I'll try to keep up with you guys. Um, before we get into the your solo album, yeah. Um, so you, um, I think we, there's like minor connections I have with you. Um, okay. Montrose, so you played with them for a while? With Ronnie, yeah. In, uh, two, I think, 1999 and 2000, I was playing with Ronnie and, and Eric Singer from Kiss was the drummer at one time, and so was Pat Torpy. Um, yeah, that era. And then I, I got the Alice Cooper um, gig, so, you know, I bowed out of, out of that and actually gave, uh, turned uh, Ricky on, to, I mean, turned uh, Ronnie on to Ricky uh, Phillips. He's oh. now been with Sticks forever. So he was my roommate at the time. Glenn Letch. Glenn played with the Montreux, so maybe it was before you were. Yeah, no, he, he wasn't in, in the version I was in, though. Yeah, okay. So there goes that one. <laughs> you know what? I love the, I love the music, you know? Uh, yeah. When uh, that first Montreux record was one of my favorite albums of all time. Yeah, it's I still, like that. It's still a top 10, and I still think it's some of Sammy Hager's best work. Yeah, same here. Uh, and uh, it's definitely a top 10 rock record um, on my list. I tried out for Alice Cooper, but didn't get in as a drummer. I, I sing now. Oh, oh, okay. Also, one of my other things. So I was after Carmen Apathy left uh, the Leslie West Band, I was the next drummer. Uh-huh. I never knew Carmine played with Leslie. Pardon? I, I, I didn't realize Carmine had his... I know it's his... Yeah, after... Kid. I guess they... Um, he had Corky Lang... Corky Lang left, and then Carmen Apathy, and I guess they couldn't call it Mountain because Carmen Apathy owns part of the name, and then uh, then me. Okay. <laughs> and then we had John Wade on the show just recently. Oh yeah, you played oh, with John yeah. Wade. Hmm. I well, I actually just I did a track with him um, that was involved with the Mister Big record. Um, I never was in his band, but he's just one of the many people I've been fortunate enough. Hmm. Who I work with, like Greg Allman and, and different people. But with Alice Cooper, I actually did 75 cities in 17 countries. Wow. Started in, we started in Moscow and ended in Lisbon and went all through Europe. And we did nine shows in a row in England, uh, you know, in, in the UK, I mean, not England, but UK. And to just, it was a, a highlight of my career, really, is being a part of that production. What What is Sick Boy? You have that on your shirt. Oh, Sick Boy. Um, 
my friend uh, Doug certainly um, is a sponsor of my event, Ultimate Jam Night, uh, at, at the that happens every other Tuesday now at the Whiskey, and I started that in 2015, and um, he's always been very cool in giving us t-shirt swag and wristbands and things like that for my event to help out um, everything. So that's where that comes from. Um, right. So you're, you're a solo album, um, How Won't Sheltering Sky on Cleopatra Records. Um, I'm sure people can find that at all the major. Well, try, what, May 20th it comes out, right? It's actually on, on all, you can you can go there now and, and uh, pre-order it or whatever. I know some friends of mine that actually pre-ordered it and got it already. But yeah, the actual release date official is the 20th. And um, I've released two videos. I released one some months ago, uh, my cover of Bjork's Army of Me, which actually features 3D animation of Ruth Ginsburg's Marching on Washington. And uh, one of the messages at the end of it is, is my body, my choice, which is like oh, so amazing oh, for right now. Yeah. And the, the new video that I released, the lyric uh, was written by Joe Retta, who uh, sang with Sweet and uh, Dio Disciples. And he wrote it before the end of the year. And it's an anti-war song, oh, and, uh, which, you know, now with the Russian invasion, the timing, I, when I did the video, obviously I tied in some of that to the video. Um, but that was all... Uh, done before this whole conflict happened. Army it's called Throwing Army. Stones. Everybody should check it out. It's pretty. It's, Throwing Stones. Yeah, yeah great it's video. Wicked, it's a pretty wicked uh, video. And um, one reviewer compared the song to if Primus and Stevie Wonder got together. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine that. that. So it's it's a pretty unique thing, but it has a 70s soulfulness to it. Yeah, I, I really liked Army of Me. I thought it was really powerful. And that woman, lady you have singing with you. That's, really yeah, powerful. that's Whitney Ty. Um, I discovered her as one of the singers at Ultimate Jam Night. And I thought she'd be the perfect voice for Army of Me. Army of Me, the music, a bed music, uh, was recorded earlier with my late friend Pat Torpy and Lanny Cordola, who was in House of Lords. And um, I found the track and I go, this needs to be finished. And I thought her voice was the perfect voice for it. She's got an outstanding album out called, uh, it's called Apogee. And our relationship grew from that. And we ended up writing a song together on my album. And she also sings one of my favorite songs on the album called Giving Up the Ghost. Yeah. She the she's face? On, she's she on three, uh, three uh, songs. Pardon? Is that her in the video? There's a face of yes. her. That's her singing. Great looking, yeah. The video. Yeah, yeah, she's super talented. Amazing songwriter. And I'm honored that she came on board along with the other 41 people, actually. I, I did a recount. I missed somebody. <laughs> There's actually 41 friends and, you know, guest performers on my album, which, you know, you're as good as the people you surround yourself with. Sure. Yeah. I wrote the music mainly on uh, acoustic guitar and then built the songs from there. One song I wrote, on basis, an instrumental uh, called Farewell Horizon, which was compared to an Eric Johnson song but, um, by somebody. But it's that's the only one that actually started with the bass as the main bed uh, for writing the song. The others were uh, me sitting down with uh, an acoustic guitar. One of the songs called See You on the Other Side, um, I got a phone call that Frankie Benelli had passed, who I'd been obviously been working with since 81 and a very close friend. And I sat right down and wrote that song in one sitting from beginning to end. I came up with the chorus melody and idea 
And then I, I finished it out with a, a singer that he had been working with uh, recently named August Young. Mm -hmm. So the whole thing kind of, I never, the, the, the point is, is that I never really planned on doing a solo album. It just kind of came across, came out um, organically with the pandemic. I, you know, I took a bad situation to try to make something good out of it. And I just started writing music that I want to listen to as right. opposed to having, okay, I've got to write 10 hard rock tunes that are got to sound like this. It was just like writing music that I like. That's why there's so many different styles on the album, even Celtic on the album. There's, there's Bjork. Is that how you pronounce that? The Bjork. Yeah, Bjork um, yeah. Like how you just heard that and said, Oh, that's, well, a good cover of that. We were we were in the studio cutting, writing some songs, and then we all just started jamming on it um, because we were fans of Bjork, um, and that song was a big hit for her in 1995. And uh, the it was it was just it just has a great feel. It's like she sampled John Bonham's from Led Zeppelin's drum <laughs> part, and so we just started jamming on that. And Pat Torpy had actually toured with Robert Plant. So, of course, he's going to play that kind of thing. He'd play anything fantastic. But <laughs> so it just kind of happened. And I found the tracks and I said, I got to finish this. And there was another there's another song too. Throwing Stones actually was a track uh, song idea that we'd cut. And um, it became that. Yeah, like that, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's how, you know, though you can't get much. You can't get any better. And I miss I miss Pat a lot. He was one of my best friends. You directed the video, didn't you? Army of Me? Yes, I did. Uh -huh. um, I oversaw everything with both videos, actually. But um, I started working with a 3D animator friend of mine uh, named Drew Lanius. He's up in uh, Kentucky, Ohio area. And I saw a video of his and I go, oh, wow, you know, it'd be really great. Why don't we get together and we'll do this thing? And, and, and the Army's going to be Ruth Ginsburg's because she's, she's mm. just passed. And the idea was, is that even though she's gone, there's still so many people that still believe in her beliefs and what she stood for um, in this country, even though things have really changed a lot with the Supreme Court. Um, uh, it, it just really spoke to me in that I thought she'd be the perfect army to have yeah. in the video. Yeah, it almost has a metropolis feel to it when they're all... Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah, it's going for that that futuristic sci-fi, yeah, yeah. which is that's the genre I love the most in pretty much anything. You know, in, in fact, my first the first thing I wrote was called The Weight of Silence, which actually just won two awards, uh, the Rock Music Alliance. Um, I got it was voted best uh, guitar instrumental over oh. Steve, Steve. I mean, over uh, uh, God, I can't remember the whole John Five and, and Joe Satriani. But oh, anyway, yeah. um, it won best uh, guitar instrumental and best video. And that video I actually did myself. Um, that song, I sat down when the pandemic hit and everything was like a, apocalyptic across mm. the world, yeah. empty streets everywhere. So I found cool drone footage of just places that are usually packed with people like New York City. Nobody. Yeah. Right. I, and then I just uh, filmed myself with an iPhone. Actually, my girlfriend filmed me <laughs> and and um, and then I edited it together. And in that and it just won an award for best video, which is crazy to me, but um, totally a surprise. But th that's how the whole thing kind of started. So that song came out. Um, I put that out on video. And then Troy Lucchetta, the drummer from Tesla, called me. And he goes, man, I love that song. Can I play drums on it? <laughs> I go, I never thought about it. Really? I never thought about it. I go, sure. So he has a studio. And I sent him the tracks to play to. And he sent me the drum track back. 
and it was killer. And at the same time, a guitar player I know in town who's a top um, jazz fusion guy named Alan Hines wanted to play on it too. So he added some just beautiful guitar work that I edited together to make a theme. And that's, so now there's two versions of the song. It's, um, the one that won the award is the reimagined version, which is this version. The first version was just me playing everything. And then, so the whole album thing kind of developed that way. It's just started writing songs. It's asking friends, hey, what do you think of this? Do you want to post, throw some lap steel guitar on it? Let's do it like Pink Floyd, whatever, right? And it just started happening. Eventually, I had five songs and that video, Army of Me. And I said, you know what? I think I got something here. And I took it around and um, mm. my friend Brian Pereira over at Cleopatra totally was on board and and no, I, ha I have no reins with this label. It's like I can do whatever and they're, mm. they're totally support it. Where other labels like, like to meddle into everything you do. Oh no, you can't do that kind of thing, whatever. But with this album, it's all over the map and, it, and it's kind of like tells a story. It's very cinematic. So is the group, is it just a Chuck Wright album or is there a group? Is there Well, I, I call it, it's called Chuck Wright's Sheltering Sky. Okay. Um, and, and that's because there are so many musicians on it. It's, mm. And I, I've always kind of felt um, in running my event where I, I coordinate between 50 and 100 professional musicians, and it was weekly, um, I've always felt like an umbrella over people and get, get, getting, gathering, getting everybody gathered together. You know, people have formed bands, people have gotten tours just by it being a, a um, social scene, a big social scene. And I started it because DJs were taking over Los Angeles and DJs can't jam. Right? <laughs> so let's do, let's do a jam. And, and I, I've been able to put people together. Uh, here's a good example. Um, I put together Greg Wright, who was a guitar player with Michael Jackson on the Thriller Tour. Mm -hmm. And Sugarfoot Moffat, who was the drummer on the Thriller tour, and they hadn't played together since then. And I got a hold of both of them and go, "Hey, why don't you guys come down and we'll do something?" And got to see them play together again, which was amazing. You know, things like that. Yeah, you're. That's a great way to find talent with that, that <clears throat> whiskey to go go thing. You it, it is. It's also really great to take seasoned pros and put young great players with them. That's mm -hmm. one of the joys I get, and to watch the growth of some of these players. I've watched one guy go from just basically just starting out, and now he's on tour with Dorothy, and he plays with Faster Pussycat, and he was just like a young guy just trying to get in there, and he made connections, and people got to see him. and So it's been a great thing for the music community here in L.A. And we actually just did a benefit for Ukraine, for the World mm -hmm. Central Kitchen, and raised a bunch of money uh, for them. Um, so we also use it as a platform to help people, too. We've done a homeless um, benefit here, too, and, a, and a, a bunch of other ones over the course of uh, the years that we've been doing this. So I'm curious after, you know, I'm not, I'm not a musician, but I'm well, I was listening to Quiet Riot and, and uh, aware of the music. But what's it like being with them for so long and having that metal, heavy metal mindset? And then, you know, is that just something you snap out of or you're still like... Well, that 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 mindset it happens to me when I get on stage for ninety minutes. Oh. And it, it's it really not there. Otherwise, I mean, I listen to, yeah, I like ACDC and 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 rock bands. I grew up listening to Humble Pie and bands like that. But I really like artists like Sting as well too, and mm. Lachlan and really musical, um, adventurous music as well as just hard rocking. But mainly when I get on stage, it's a different animal. So you just oh, okay. Ah, 
you know, I, I actually love doing it. It was, it's fun, but, but, uh, you know, where my, what I listen to at home is not that. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, cause I always get this impression that, uh, heavy metal bands, you know, like that's it, you know, it's like, yeah. Fanatical. Uh, no, not at all. When I started, else out, sucks. It's us, or the yeah. 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 When I started um, playing in Los Angeles, I had a a, a prog band. Uh, mm. I, I when I was a kid, I I was my friend was driving me because I w- didn't have a driver's license, and <laughs> the sign at the whiskey said yes five dollars, and I went. I heard that band's really good. We should go check them out, <laughs> right? And that totally turned my head around. That oh my god, you can actually do that. You know, so and at that point, I was a Deep Purple, Black Sabbath kind of kid. Oh yeah, yeah. And I, I totally got into all the prog bands, and it kind of s- stayed in my blood. And there's a there's elements of that on my new album, um, which you, you'll hear. It's it's a, an adventure from beginning to end. If you check it out. Yeah. How did you get into? When did you start playing music? Um, you know, I just had that discussion with a couple friends yesterday. And I didn't really realize it, but I think the first time I, I actually got into music, I was a little boy, and my mom gave me one of those little toy organs where the notes are written in numbers, and you yeah. play the chord with your left hand. And I think the first song I learned was like, um, uh, what was it, uh, House of the Rising Sun, oh. and, then, and then, you know, stuff like that, that era music. And then I took some guitar lessons, and I became a bass player because when I was almost 15 the kids in my neighborhood were like 16 and 17 and i was a big kid they didn't know how old i was they go hey i saw you play guitar do you play guitar right and i go well kind of a little bit and and they said you want to play bass in our band and i said a bass (laughs) just four strings (laughs) right i I can handle that anyway i asked my mom and she's all about helping me get a bass and what what makes that interesting uh, getting into music that way is it totally changed my life. I was in military school for almost nine years. What? And I was second in command of the battalion. Oh my God. I was going to go to the air force high school that set you up to go to the air, uh, air force Academy. I wanted to be a pilot. That was my dream. Oh. And then I, dis- I discovered rock and roll. I did my very first show, which was at a UCLA fraternity party. Right. <laughs> and I made $75. I drank beer and the girls thought I was cute. So, <laughs> I, so I went to the air my, force. Yeah. So I went to my mom and I said, you know, I think I want to do this instead. And she was like, Oh my God, you've invested eight years. And oh, obviously she, she means she invested all this money, but in uh, going to that school for the education and all that. But, but I just really felt my calling was mm. that. And when I was a little boy, I remember having my tennis racket playing to the shag carpets and those were all the people I was playing to the Beatles, you know, like every other kid, right. Pretending, but I got to live that dream and I got, I've been very fortunate to play for crowds as big. I think the biggest one is 120,000 at at, at rock, Oklahoma and 55,000 in Europe and in Japan and some big shows like that. So that's kind of like, I envisioned my future when I was a little kid, kind of in a way, you know? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. What an amazing transition. So, I read in your bio, you were, I, I guess, when you started out, one of your influences was Jack Bruce. Yeah, actually, I just did a post about that today because it's his birthday today, um, mm. oddly enough. And w- what the anecdotal story about Jack Bruce is, yeah, it was, that was the, 
the first band I started learning how to play bass. Sunshine of Your Love is the first song I ever learned. I mm. actually got my mom to get me an EB3 bass like him. Yeah. Mean, that, he was my idol. Well, cut two years later, I'm on tour with Carmine Appice and Vanilla Fudge. Yeah. And the opening acts bass player inherited, uh, his, his father was the CEO of Pfizer. And when he passed, he inherited $250 million. Huh. So, so he bought all this memorabilia, you know, music instruments. He had Jimmy Page's amps. It's in Bogart's bass. <laughs> he had the bass that I played, that I learned Sunshine of Your Love to oh, at wow. his house. So at the end of the tour, I was able to go to his his little uh, room that he had all this this music gear and play the bass that I learned my first song on. That's so cool. We interviewed yeah. his daughters, but that we, that's as close as we got. Yeah. yeah, uh, he, Jack, yeah. Really what an amazing want. talent. Huh? His, his one of his daughters, uh, a, she calls herself a Ruber Red. Her name's Natasha Bruce, really um, talented singer. And his other daughter, Kyla Simone Bruce, who we had also had on, is a filmmaker. So I'm totally unaware of them. Yeah, but they loved their. Yeah, Ruber Red's really an amazing singer. I think she sang. Well, I don't know if she, she did. Sang going wrong, you know the that was on the first Cream album or second one. Uh, really did it, and it's it's on YouTube somewhere. Oh, That's wow. how I came across her. I didn't know he had any children, and then I'm watching video, and I go, "Here's Natasha uh, Ruber Red," and I and I went, "What? He has daughters?" <laughs> you know, and it's, yeah. and it, it's not mentioned in his book. I read his book. I didn't remember seeing anything about. Well, they had, they adored him by all accounts. I mean, they. Well, I'm sure he, you know, yeah. he was gentleman type of guy. It seemed, you know. Yeah, they said he was. Jazzer, really. You know, less than a rock, more of a jazz guy than a rock. Oh, that's guy. right. Yeah. But man, he he brought it. And and one of the beautiful things about Jack Bruce's bass playing when I was learning was I learned improv. Mm. We would do, I remember doing these like party gigs, like like the fraternity party, and we would do spoonful for 20 minutes. Yeah. And that was just us just going off, you know, feeling the music. It wasn't like notes on a paper. And it was just from well, inside. You just felt it, you know. Oh. Well, actually, that sort of leads to a question I have as a non-musician again. So someone writes a song, you write a song, and you mentioned you write it with the bass, but the bass isn't known as a well, melodies, right? You, can you what do a I melody? I wrote, one, I wrote one instrumental with mm -hmm. bass playing chords, actually, on the bass oh. and then another bass part and multi-tracked. And then I had a guitar player put some Jeff Beck-style guitar parts over it. But I sit down with a guitar start strumming and I start singing ideas and coming up with parts and then lyrics. And does the bass line come in afterwards? Like the song's yeah. written and then it's like... Usually, yeah, it's, it is it is developed afterwards. And a lot of times it's developed after I come up with the kind of groove I want in the drums. But my bass parts are built off of the vocal melody, the actual chord structure, um, and what the guitar parts are, and, and really around what the drum pattern is, the bass drum pattern and the drum fills. And it's really important that you have the vocal melody to work with so that you enhance oh, yeah. passages that they do. And, and I've had to do records where I had no idea what the vocals were going to be. And it really is limiting. You just kind of have to play it safe the whole time. You can't really be as, a, as expressive as you would like to be. Um, yeah. Like Pino Palladino is one of my favorite expressive bass players. Um, you've heard him with Don Hanley and Paul yeah. And uh, just, you know, Sunset Grill, listen to the bass on that. It's just... You know, and I and I did read that both he and Paul McCartney do their bass last. They'll do oh. like a, 
a, a scratchy, you know, like a scratch part. Mm -hmm. And then after all the parts are built, then they do the final base part. Oh. So you're react, you're responding to your, to the, what's already laid down. I mean, you're kind well, of it's adding the, to it. I really think to paint the right picture, you need to have all the colors, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's, that's the way I've always liked to do it. And like I said, I've had to do records before without that, which, you know, you just make the best of it. Yeah. Yeah. So you uh, read in your bio that you've been involved in many seven film scores. How'd you get involved in those? Well, things? that was, yeah, it, that was a period of time where um, I was working with Matt Sorum, who, you know, probably from Guns N' Roses and the cult and Lanny Cordola, who was my, my partner um, in played with me in house of Lords, but we also have done a lot of other projects and albums together, uh, mainly in the nineties. I think we had a project called Magdalene. Uh, it has a couple records and we have a project called odd man out that has a couple albums out but um we got into they started doing film scores and they got me involved in that with them and it was a whole different process and one of them we uh, uh we had slash and some of those guys involved in it and we went to uh the sundance film festival and performed music from the actual movie and one of the uh, fun fun stories from that is is um, Slash plays the opening riff to he goes and the crowd goes crazy. He walks up to the mic and he goes, "Not gonna happen." And yeah, but it, doing film scores is is it's a different animal. I mean, you have a lot a lot to choose from stylistically, but you want to keep a kind of a thematic feel to everything. Is it song? Are you doing sound design, or is it both combination of both? Combination of both, um, yeah. it, and it also depends on the kind of film. If you want to go for a David Lynchian kind of vibe, you know, or dark, evil, whatever, throughout the kind of because the story has that underlying character to it, you know, it just yeah. it depends on what's there. But one of the things also is sometimes a, a film will have multiple producer film producers on it, and trying to please all those guys is not easy. <laughs> you know to make everybody have one guy wants a latin song and one guy wants a jazz song you know <laughs> you kind of have to find the right what's going to work best for it so, so off topic of it what, what's your review of the mccartney uh tour you you saw the you saw a concert i did i went uh you know what it's been on my bucket list i never thought i'd ever seen because the ticket prices are astronomical <laughs> and um fortunately i i i was able to get hooked up for the show it, uh, it, through my girlfriend, actually, she knows a bunch of the people um, on the crew and in the band. So um, I just was, I, I can't believe, first of all, that he, he can go for three hours at 79 years old. Jeez. And the amount of songs mm. that he plays that are, you know, either in your, you know, they're part of your DNA, really. Sure. I, mean, I, grew up, I grew up, I remember seeing the, the Beatles first show on Ed Sullivan. I remember all yeah, of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and I, I grew up with that and and probably you know one of the biggest influences i think on pretty much everybody is the beatles of course in yeah. fact we're doing at ultimate jam night next week we're doing a britain rock show so it's just british acts it's going to be part one because there's so many british great bitters acts but we're going to start with beatles because that's <laughs> started it really the british yeah. invasion um i guess the real uh, actually, the Beatles were on another show before. Nobody knows this. <laughs> Makes you know this. But they were on the Jack Parr show before they were on. Oh, Jack Parr, right. 
Oh, used, yeah, the Jack Parr show. That's right. Jack Parr became Johnny Carson, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. he used to make home movies and travel. And he says, I went to England and I, and I saw this band and he played it. And I remember seeing it. And he and he's going like they're very different because in every the only thing that we had before that was you know the Beach Boys and Elvis and stuff right and and I remember seeing it going you know seeing like God that's really different you know special you know they, very very cool and I I I hold them responsible for the whole hard rock thing with Helter Skelter because oh, that song was I think it's the first heavy rock tune ever you, recorded. That's interesting. You're right. That because Beatles aren't known. That's really an, one that's of their. So aggressive. They're screaming. There is like. Nah, 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 nah. It's like yeah. Talk about aggressive. You, yeah. you know, it's crazy. It, yeah, that's that's almost scary. Well, Manson, it's so scary because uh, Manson adopted it as his theme Believe song. Me. Yeah, I don't want to go there, but I know that whole. My my stepfather was a newsman. And he was the first guy allowed into that scene. Oh really? Oh, oh. terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So when like when in the beginning um. You were in Quiet Riot and you left. Did you, you just wanted to do something different, or is there some well, riff you had with them, like you know? Fight? Well, the thing with that band um, is that I've been in and out of it. I think four or five times throughout <laughs> my career. Since I mean, I started playing, with, which became the Metal Health record. It was called Dubrow, and we we um, demoed the songs, and a lot of those demos became the actual album because it, I mean it, it was life changing if it's not broken right so that's mm -hmm. how I, I became the bass player and bang your head and don't want to let you go and i sing on every track on the metal health record which is the first uh they call it metal i, I think of it just as hard rock but the first metal record to go number one that's what they said yeah and it did change the whole fabric of the music scene totally it, i mean it was all new wave bands mm -hmm. and and that with little ties you know and then all of a sudden it became all the hair bands and and it kind of blew open the doors for everybody else. Come on, feel the noise. That song. Um, but yeah, it's been an in and out kind of thing, and and it's a lot of times it's Rudy coming back, and this time it's the same thing. I'm just stepping aside. He's he's coming back to the band, and 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 this it's good because I'm doing my solo project right now, and yeah. I'm, I've always got a lot going on, sessions or whatnot. I'm always a busy camper. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So a more trivial uh, question, the hats behind you, is that just to people give you hats as gifts? You collect hats or, you know, you're at the I'm hat a, tree. I, I'm a total, yeah, I'm a total haberdashery. <laughs> total fanatic. I mean, I've got so many different hats. Yeah. Um, I've always liked it. In fact, I posted with that, that Jack Bruce on Facebook with the Jack Bruce thing. I talked about the EB3 bass. I posted my, uh, the only picture I could find of me playing one when I was 15 Sure enough, I'm wearing a hat. <laughs> you know, and I guess from military school, you have to wear hats all the time, oh, right? Sure. So I'm just kind of, that's a thing. You know, yeah. I'm a, I've been a hat guy, and, and you could totally change your whole look with a hat. Sure, yeah. Even even like a, um, a fedora, if you wear it down, you look like really serious. And if you pull it up, you look like a goofball. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. You know, it's funny. like whatever. But the brim goes, yeah. yeah if you big, put the brim up, all of a sudden you're a goof. You or know? one of the, the dead end kids or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Something from Mayberry. Like or Kid Rock. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I heard Slash tell a story where his hat, you know, the mythology of his hat, and he stole it from a thrift shop. He was apparently, that's what he said. He was in a thrift shop one day and somebody said, you, I don't know, you ought to wear a hat or 
he was going somewhere where he needed a hat and, and he walked into a thrift store and he saw this hat and it was too expensive and he stole it. So, Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know yeah. that. <laughs> I remember, I remember those guys before, you know, they got signed and, 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 uh, Axel Rose, I was at the cat club and he was in the men's bathroom, just hanging out, yeah. telling every guy that walked in there about his new band. Oh, really? And I go, well, this guy's kind of smart. He knows everybody's going to be going. It's weird. Oh, <laughs> but everybody's going to be going in there eventually, right? right. That's interesting. That's where every publisher should hang out in the men's room. Yeah, like, <laughs> if they don't already. <laughs> you want to promote, go, you know. Yeah. 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 Anyway, that's a little story about those. I have, I actually worked with just about everybody in Guns N' Roses throughout my career, oh, both uh, Matt Sorum and I toured with Steven Adler, um, the, you know, as well. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It's, it's been, and Teddy Zigzag and G Gilby Clark. Those are all guys I've worked with. Teddy was in Alice Cooper with me and I did his solo record, which is really outstanding, by the way. So let's plug your record again, Sheltering Sky. Yes. People can find it on um, Apple Music and. Um... There, oh, there it is. Good. Chuck Wright, Sheltering Sky. Include That's that. It. Wow. Nice. Nice album cover. Who, who did the art? That, well, actually, the album was. You probably don't know, but I have been a graphic designer. I worked for three labels at one time doing CD packages. Oh. But when the best guy in the business is your best friend, and named Glenn Wexler, who's done Rush and Black Sabbath and Van Halen, two covers and on and on and on. He goes, hey, do you want me to do your cover for you? I'm going to go, yes, sir, please. <laughs> and oh, yeah, and he, and he listened to the album and he, he got the whole. Um, basically, it's like even though everything's desolation, it's the vulture represents basically death, but it's actually lifting up and rising. So it's it's hope. It's like a and phoenix, too. You know, it's like the Phoenix, but it, you know, it's a pretty cool image. Um, and, and he's been my best friend since the late 70s. You know, we're like brothers, really. So when he when he said, hey, I'll do it, I go, great. I oh, couldn't boy. decide. I had like 10 different ideas developed yeah. that I did myself over the months. You know, oh, yeah, I'll do. And uh, but but he just said he'd come on board and go, you got it. Go for it. Oh, that's nice. Anyway, Sheltering Skies, the name of the project. And uh uh, check out the Throwing Stones video and Army of Me video if you can, people. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. Yeah. Yeah, really nice to meet you guys. Yeah, thanks for And um, I'm at Frog's Place, New Haven. You guys are in Connecticut, right? Toad's yeah. Place. Toad's Place. That's it. Toad's place. <laughs> yeah. I knew it had a frog in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's lots, of, there's lots yeah, of. Yeah, I just remember that club so well. So going down yeah. to the basement. Dressing and when is that again? When are you going to be at Toad's Place? Oh, I'm not. I'm just saying you guys are from oh, Connecticut. Oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. When I think think of I think of New Haven and then sure. I think of those places. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Anyway, nice meeting you guys. Yep, same. Thank here. you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.